Back in March of 2021, Josh and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Josh Brooks, the J. Reed Parker Director of Athletics at the University of Georgia. Josh is a leader who understands the comfort in being uncomfortable and the benefits that such experiences can provide a leader as they grow, and you'll hear that in our conversation today. Josh has a level-headed, collaborative style about him, and it will not take long for you to understand that there is something special about him and what he's putting together there in Athens. Let's settle in and get to know Mr. Josh Brooks. All right, Mr. Brooks, we're glad to have you joining Don and I for today's episode of Hanging with the AD. It's always nice to get time with a university athletic director, especially one here in our home state of Georgia. So thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. No, I'm glad to do it. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So for our listeners, Josh Brooks is the J. Reed Parker Director of Athletics at the University of Georgia. Josh has held this position only since January of this year. He has extensive knowledge in, in collegiate athletics, including a previous stop as the director of athletics at Millsap College, along with several other impactful stops before UGA. But I'll stop right there and let Josh tell us a little bit more about his journey through the world of athletics. Josh, we like to start our show with a short bio of our guests. We call it the back of the baseball card bio. So just tell us what the back of Josh Brooks' baseball card might look like. Well, first of all, the uh, batting average probably wouldn't be very good. But, <laughs> yeah. But uh, maybe I'd get a few steals in there or something like that. But That's all right. Mine, mine was bad, too. So I, got or I could draw a lot of walks, maybe. maybe there you go. Walks. But, uh, so I grew up in South Louisiana, was a big sports fan all my life. I was always the kid on the playground that when it was recess or pee, I was the one organizing the games, picking the teams, setting the rules. So I was always the one kind of organizing the athletics and just loved anything we could do to create a game. I was the kid, you know, we'd make a game out of anything. So I always had a passion for wanting to be in athletics. Um, obviously, as I got through high school, I knew that I didn't have a real shot at playing college football, although I was playing high school football was one of my, you know, was one of my big passions. And I said, oh, I want to be a football, I want to be a college football coach. So knowing that I knew I needed my foot in the doors and I was able to go to LSU. They just created a, a state scholarship called Tops, equivalent to Hope in Georgia which provided me an opportunity to go to LSU under that scholarship. And then it was just a matter of how do I get my foot in the door? And I started volunteering in the equipment room there, um, earned a scholarship as an equipment manager. And then going into my um, spring of my sophomore season, uh, Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban arrived at LSU. So I got paired up with Jimbo Fisher as a quarterback's equipment manager. So that's when it really started to develop for me, getting to work with him and getting to, you know, him really um, take me under his wing, teach me football. You know, you think you know football, <laughs> until you really get in there with one of those guys like, oh, man, I thought I knew. And then it, then right. my headbutt exploded. And I said, you know, this is pretty intense. So I worked into my senior year being a student assistant for Coach Fisher. And I was able to parlay that experience to going to Louisiana Monroe as a grad assistant football coach. And I was there two years as a GA. My second year, Charlie Weatherby was a head coach. And I was trying to – at that point, I was really trying to find a, my break in coaching – and in, at Monroe, and I always encourage people to work at small schools because you get a lot of great experience. At Louisiana Monroe, I was involved in several things because you just have a very small staff, right? Mm-hmm. So my head coach came to me at the time and said, hey, listen, I don't typically hire guys who didn't play college football, but you're really good at computers, you're really organized. How would you like to be my DFO? And I 
honestly, I didn't even know what a DFO was at that time. I had a kind of a clue, but you know, I said, he's offering me a full-time job making $20,000 a year. I'm going to be rich. This is, you know, <laughs> let's take it. Let's go. <laughs> oh, you know, benefits and everything. So I was fired up and I was just 23 at the time, about to be 24. And I figured this was my opportunity. And, and I still at that point didn't know if I'd ever want to go back into coaching, but after about a year into that, I really loved that, that work. And I love that pathway of, I love the freedom it gave of being able to set your own schedule and kind of take your, take the task on as, as, as you wanted. And I just love the job in general. So I did that till about 2008. I apply, I've randomly blindly applied for a job here at the University of Georgia with coach Rick. I'd always been a fan of Georgia since my LSU days. I thought Athens was one of the greatest college towns. I thought Georgia was a phenomenal university. Mm-hmm. So I blindly applied interview with coach Rick by faith. I got the job and, um, and then I stayed here uh, until 2014. Now, 2000, the end of 2010, Coach Fisher was in his second year or third year at Florida State, and he offered me the football operations job at Florida State. And I was going to take that not because of any unhappiness here or anything else. It was just out of a loyalty. I mean, it was the man right. that gave my first break in the business, and I believed in him. I knew he was going to win a championship eventually, and he, he obviously did. And um, – at that moment, Greg McGarity, the AD, only been AD here for six months at the time, offered me a chance to move out of football, move into administration. So that was the that was the fork in the road where I had to make a decision. And ultimately, for me, as much as I wanted to go work for Coach Fisher and that opportunity, uh, the lifestyle I thought would be better for my family. I had two um, twins that were, I think, gosh, at that time were you know barely a year and a half old, and I thought this would be a better pathway for my family. Uh, better hours and, and everything. So I chose the path of administration. So I worked assistant AD, associate AD, and then 2014, I felt it was time for me to, to make a move to really challenge myself, get out of my comfort zone. And at that time, I took the AD job at Millsaps College in Jackson, Mississippi. And it was a small school, a D3 school that I had a lot of familiarity with um, being from that region of the country. And people thought I was crazy to le- leave a division, you know, place like Georgia for Millsaps, but it really was a, a much needed opportunity for me to really get out of my comfort zone, challenge, do new things, get in the external side of operations I'd never really been in. And it, it turned out to be a great experience for me. Millsaps, great place, great people. So I was there a couple of years. Then I went back to Louisiana Monroe as deputy AD. And then, uh, and then 2000, then to 2016, Greg called me back up and said, Hey, you know, I never really filled your position. Um, I really would love to bring you back. And I said, if I come back, I'd love to come back, but I want to expand my role. I've got experience in those other areas now and he said that's great we'll really you know expand your portfolio and hmm. and grow you so i came back at the end of 16 and those next four years are really where i continue to develop and and drew on my past experiences at millsaps and ulm to really get involved in more things here and then uh last year um around this time or a little bit earlier i was promoted to senior deputy ad where i was truly Greg's number two, and he kind of really gave me a peek behind the curtain and was exposing me a lot more things that I maybe had not even seen in his chair. So all of those experiences before that point and then this last year really prepared me for the for the interview that came in late December when after Greg retired. And and then, Lord willing, I was, I was selected for the position, and, and uh, now I'm three months in and, and enjoying every day of it. It's, it's hectic, it's fun, but uh, it really is a blessing, and I'm, I'm just honored to serve this university. 
Josh, as an athletic administrator, how do you define and evaluate your personal daily success? For a coach, there's a scoreboard, there's player stats, right? But for the athletic administrator, there's no clear scoreboard to display our success rate. We know success goes beyond the scoreboard for coaches, but regardless, how do you find and evaluate your daily success? Yeah, that's that's a great question because for an AD, um, you know, you can be measured against the coaches you hire or the coaches you have and their success is one metric. But, you know, I, I know this sounds cliche, but I really don't spend – the results are what they are. We all want to win, right? Right, right. But it's beyond that for me. It's Winning is, is a byproduct of the, the, the process. I also want to graduate kids. I want to have kids do great in school, make great grades. And beyond that, I want – when a student athlete leaves the University of Georgia, I want them to feel like they're prepared for the world. So some of the success I'm seeking, I may not see or may not feel until 20 or 30 years from now right. when I'm at a reunion and I run into a former student athlete and they say, Georgia changed my life. So that's the ultimate goal for me. And along that pathway, it, there's going to be hard to, to find those true metrics of success. That's where I really dig into the process and really just focus on, you know, committing to this university every day, working hard, treat people the right way try to build leaders, you know, trust on my staff, do things the right way and good things will happen. Um, I think if you spend too much time solely focused on the results, then you're not focusing on the process of what you're doing on day to day. You know, when you talk about a sport like baseball or softball, right, you can have a bunch of great hits, but if they're hit line drives to the center fielder or right fielder, they're going to get called out. So you can't, you have to be careful, you know, and sometimes the ball in different sports bounces funny or things happen. But you know it when you see it. When you know when you got great leaders who are developing young men and young women, and you know that, and you know people that do it the right way. So some of those metrics, again, are going to be hard to define along the way. You know, there's other things you can focus on, ticket sales and fundraising and all these other things. But truly, it's about, for me, it's almost an intangible feeling of knowing and a gut feeling I'm making this place better every day. Challenging people in the right way to ratchet up the dial, keep finding ways to, to get better. But working hard, treat people the right way. And I, and I think if you subscribe to that and you focus on the process every day of your job, then you'll be able to look up at the end of the day and the results will be what you want or, or something that you're proud of at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Being a baseball guy, I've never really thought about it, but I mean, the, the worst time for a hitter is that time when you're really hitting it on the nose and they're catching every ball and you get in your head, right? You, you think you're doing something wrong because the batting average is going down, but you're really doing a lot of things right. And I've never thought about that with athletic administration, and that's a great analogy. So, Josh, recently we heard you on Melt University, uh, the podcast there with Vince Thompson. You talked about working to please people, and you talked about just now treating people right, and that's something we always do. But you also mentioned how it's really impossible to please everyone. I love your example of giving a $20 bill to uh, for, to everyone coming to an event, and you still have 10% of the people that have a problem with it. They'd, they'd want 40 or they'd want two tens or whatever you said. That was That was great. I agree that at the high school level, we face the the same challenges of, um, you know, trying to make people happy but not being able to please everyone. Coach Dabo Sweeney up at Clemson said he would not take criticism from people. He would not take advice from. That's a great – yeah, that's a great point. So my question is, how do you process the complaints? Because we're going to get them. How do you flush those things that really aren't productive because you can't unhear them, right? I mean, you read it in email, you hear it on a a talk show for you, maybe um, a phone call, whatever it is, you can't unhear it. So how do you get them out of your focus? Yeah. So I'm a big, uh, I probably absorb a lot of information and I'm open to it. 
um, whether it's coming at me through email or someone coming at me on social media. So I'll, I'll absorb it all, but then I got to do a good job of compartmentalizing it and realizing when someone's just being over the top or, you know, if someone's going to be vulgar, I'm not going to pay attention to it. But I, for me, if, if any information that's brought to me in a respectful manner, I've got to absorb it, process it and, and take it into account. Now, like we said, no matter what we do, 10% are always, there's just a nature of human nature, you know, like you bring up the debate of music selection at any one of our athletic events and, and throw out any band and there's going to be someone that's not going to like it. Right. So right. knowing, knowing that whatever you do, like we said, the $20 bill example, you're going to get 10%. So factor that in and just know everything you do, there's going to be complaints, but then also being open to constructive criticism, because if you hear it enough on a certain category, certain topic, you know, whatever initiative we have, you may say, well, I really thought this was a good idea, but I'm getting a lot of overwhelming response that a, we need to scrap it or B we need to adjust it a little bit or tweak it. So being open, you know, the Bible still talks about, you know, rebuking, don't be a, don't be a fool. Don't, don't rebuke criticism, be open to it. So you got to be confident enough in yourself to be open to say, I can find a good idea from anywhere. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that I've had a random fan send me something before and it, it sparked an idea. So being Sorry. open to it, but uh, being judicious enough to, to understand what's possible. Sometimes when people send you an email or send you a note or call you, they don't, they'll never truly know the full process behind it because sometimes people think um, there's a great expression someone said any one time the simpler you think the, the solving of the problem is the less you understand the true problem mm. you know so yeah. you, you're going to get people who, who think they have an easy solution hey just do xyz well there's a reason we don't do that so taking that into account and just knowing that at some point i'm going to have to make decisions that i know are right in my heart i know they're the right thing but it's it may even trickle up to 20 or 30% that don't like it. You know, there's just certain items that people are never going to agree on. So being open to it, listening, absorbing it, trying to, to filter through the noise of, of what's true or what's valid, what's not. And then taking time to reflect with my staff, my key individuals who I trust to say, Hey, listen, something is bubbling up a lot. Let's discuss it. Am I crazy? Am I not crazy? Let's really talk about it and no hurt feelings. Let's, you know, this isn't, this isn't putting down anyone. Let's just, this is something we're getting complaints on. Let's talk about it and see if it's valid or not. So being open and, and being willing to discuss it. Yeah, that's something I've told people before. It's easy to have an idea. It's easy to have a, an opinion or an idea on something. But in that same podcast conversation, you mentioned asking questions in meetings when you didn't understand something, even if it was presumed that you should be informed. That discussion got me thinking about my own self-confidence. That's something that I battle with as well. This idea of everybody's going to look to me for the answer. I need to be able to have it. Obviously, when you have knowledge and experience in a field, we have confidence in ourselves. But how do you describe the self-confidence required to asking questions when you don't know something? It takes a different level of mental fortitude to stop and say, you know what, I don't know. Or what do you mean by that? I did a lot of that in this past year. Is that a higher level leadership skill to say, I don't know? I don't know. I hope so, because I've just always been unafraid, I hope, uh, to or just feeling that, A, I'm not afraid to not know, but I'm also not afraid to have my mind changed. Mm. I think for me, part of that leadership is we talk about the same nature of being willing to ask questions, but being willing to say, look, guys, I'm I'm open to this. Let's discuss it. And that brings true. I've, I've worked for bosses before that would say, well, let's discuss it, but you'd never really would change your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really want to, I don't, and, and along that same lines of, of what you're talking about, being willing to say, I don't know. It's just important. It's just as important for me to say, I'm open to having my, I don't think you have to, 
be a lockdown, say, this is my way or the highway. You're not going to change my mind. What good is that? Because mm-hmm. I've got to realize every de- category I'm talking about, I've got experts. This is the University of Georgia. I've got some of the best in the business. When you talk about the business office, ticketing, development, promotions, I've got some of the best. So for me to think that I've got it all figured out or that I'm not willing to have a mind changed if someone's got a better idea is, is ignorant to me. So it, it goes along with the same thought process of I've got experts in the field. So why would I not ask my compliance director, who's one of the best in the country, a question? Why would I ever assume that I should know more than he or she does? They're experts in the field. And, and I think part of that becomes for me, my biggest skill set's always been to be a jack of all trades. And it's the leadership part of it. But I'm never going to expect myself to know everybody's department better than they do. I know, I know enough about it to help guide the ship and keep us all on pathway, but I've got to lean on my experts. So um, I've, I've just always felt comfortable in that space, not putting the pressure on myself that I've got to be the smartest person in the room on every topic. You know, it's like an old saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, leave the room. It's yeah, like, find, find, find another room. room. <laughs> so I'm not embarrassed to say that, that I've got experts in every field and it's not my job to be the expert in everything, but have a complete, that 30,000 foot view of it all and how the puzzle comes together, I think is where hopefully my skill set comes in. Yeah. I had a principal tell tell me one time, there is not a problem that we cannot fix. And I think that that's, that's the key is that, you know, tapping into those, those different specialties around you. Man, that's good stuff. I hope every listener wrote some stuff down right there about uh, you don't have to be the smartest person in the world. We hear that a lot. And uh, I hope it's because we're interviewing the best in the business. So, now, there seems to be, you mentioned social media, getting ideas from people through uh, Twitter, social media, whatever. There seems to be a growing trend of Power 5 ADs who, assumingly, like yourself, have very busy schedules, but are very active on social media, going beyond the simple retweeting of information. Um, you know, why is it important to be active on social media, personal comments to your athletic teams and players, interacting with fans, as you mentioned, making announcements, among other things there. Some executives might say that's a distraction and it's, it's causing you to be less productive. But I think it's safe to say, based on your resume and your use of social media, that you're able to leverage it for positive results. So how do you use and, and make sure social media is a positive, not a distraction? Yes, I think you have to be wise about your time that you spend on it. Um, but, you know, if I'm at a, I'm at an athletic event and it's in between innings or in between sets of volleyball or whatever, you know, it takes 30 seconds to fire out a tweet. So if you can help promote a program and athletic directors, you know, generally at this level, they've got a lot of followers. So any, I feel anything you can do to help promote the program, why not do it? And you know, and, and there's certain levels of discourse that you're not going to get into with fans if they want to, like I said, if they're going to get vulgar, or they want to, you know, fire this coach or do that, or you should, you know, you, you pick your spots. But if it's a good, honest question or, or something they're looking at information on, I have no problem, you know, shooting them a DM or replying. Hmm. Um, and sometimes if, it, if it's something controversial, I won't get into a – I don't think it's wise to get into a social media, you know, back and forth. But I may say, hey, look, send me your number and I'll call you. And let's talk because sometimes in those situations, I think it's better um, to me, to hear the tone of my voice, to hear the true concern or care. Right. And, you know, usually when you talk to people, they're a lot calmer and more rational to talk through things. But I think ultimately one of the big things is it's, it's currency for our students nowadays. Social media is currency. It's, it's a, it's a big thing with them. They want to know, they, they love the promotion. They love that interaction. So it's, it's, it's meeting them at their level a little bit. I think it's meeting our fans at that level because they love that interaction. They love the feeling that, that they can connect to me and that they have access to 
shoot me a message. I'm going to read it whether I like it or not. So it makes them feel more a part of the process. But like I said, you, you still got to take that with a grain of salt. I think, um, I think I saw a stat that said only, you know, and the number may change now, but only 10 to 15% of the U S population is on Twitter. And of that 10%, only one to 2% actually post. So you got to know whoever oh, wow. you're reading is not a true. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a small percentage. And is that a true standard of all your fans or is that just the ones that want to be vocal on Twitter? So you got to take it with a grain of salt. There's a lot of good people on Twitter, but there's a lot of people who just want to, who really just want to be heard or be active mm-hmm. or, um, spew, you know, something to stir up something. So you take it all in, um, and be wise about what you really take to heart. But at the same time, I think going back to the nature of the question was just giving people time, giving people showing you care. This is one platform you can do it in where traditionally um, you may have not had a way to interact with these people before, because if they're not, if they feel like they're not a high level donor, that's getting time with an AD, this is an opportunity for everybody to, to shoot a message that they know will get read. Yeah, that's really good. I think there's a lot of good stuff there. But one thing you mentioned that uh, has kind of hit me lately, uh, I don't I don't know, I'm a slow learner, I think, but having someone say, give me a call, you know, everybody likes to text, everybody likes to type on Twitter or social media, whatever. But when you when you t- say, give me a call or give me a number, I'll call you, that phone call seems to ramp it up and erase all that um, uh, hatred, I think, is sometimes uh, people just aren't the same when they're actually talking to you. And uh, it, like I said, it took me a long time to figure that out. Instead of getting into a back and forth through email, hey, let's just talk about it on the phone. And it seems that phone call goes a lot differently. Emails or messages on social media can be interpreted the wrong way. I mean, you right. can literally have a, you could send me an email about a problem you're having, and I could send you a solution, and then I could put, have a nice day at the end of it. Well, someone could read that as, have a nice day. What do they mean by that? You know, it's right. like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. So I think just hearing the tone, and, and I, I try to always come across as, you know, sympathetic, you know, open to listening to what the issue is and never, like, why are you calling me? Like, really just, you know, have a good tone that can be felt, and I think that really, I think 99% of the time when I've got on the phone with someone, it's gone positive. Every now and then there's someone who, who will still just – you know, want to be negative, but I think it definitely deflates the situation a little bit. And people are a lot kinder when you get them on the phone. Right. Josh, we love the idea of trying to get coaches on your staff to collaborate. I think that it's something that we as ADs don't foster and facilitate enough. You seem to have a good cross-section of coaches, both veteran and newcomer there at UGA, like a lot of places. So what exactly are you putting in place to facilitate collaboration amongst your staff? You know, we have monthly head coaches meetings where we, uh, you know, discuss current topics. You know, we'll cover everything that's going on in the department. But that's an opportunity for some of the coaches to speak of every now and then. But we also have done, and, and it's been a little bit more limited in the COVID era, mm-hmm. but we've had some coaches-only meetings. We brought in some people to work with them and just say, look, let, let's give you a chance to talk through a topic, a, a leadership topic or something like that. Um, and that's something I'd like to do more programming of because – we have some phenomenal coaches who are veterans who've been in this industry a long time. And, you know, again, just like me saying, I've got to be open to the fan where I may get a new idea. It's great for, you never know, the softball coach may have an idea for the volleyball coach or vice versa or whatever. You got to be open because there's so many good ideas everyone has that correlate. It could be, it could be something they do on a recruiting weekend that, that applies to everyone. Oh, this is something we do on a recruiting weekend that goes over real well with the parents or the recruit. So, so that collaboration, you mentioned a, can lead to great things. So we've got to do, it's been a little bit more difficult in COVID, but um, I think the the collaboration and the other part of it is for me is camaraderie. 
Right. You know, we work too hard not to enjoy our time together. So I'd love to develop more programming where the coaches just feel like they've got someone to talk to. Cause sometimes it's just about venting or just talking and just getting something off your chest and talking to someone else who's probably going through the same things you are as a head coach in a different sports. So that's another component of it for me. I want to, I want to talk about a concept that you mentioned on an interview you did alongside the Chick-fil-A operator there in Athens. Uh, great, great conversation. And uh, I would say uh, to our listeners, hey, you need to go Google uh, Josh Brooks and listen to some of the conversations you've had because you've gotten a lot of good stuff out there. But this concept was the innovation of strategy. Uh, probably, something, uh, probably not something we think about a lot as an innovation. Define this mindset and how has this concept made you a better leader and improved the organizations you've been a part of? I, I love the comparisons to two of my favorites, Augusta National Golf Club and Chick-fil-A. They, those are two that seem to be at the top of the innovation list. Yeah, so um, for me, you know, innovation is about – I believe in the infinite – there's always a solution to every problem. I always believe that. And, and someone said to me one time as a joke, and I really thought about it, and I, and I hope that was a compliment when they said it because – you know, we had a problem. It was something to do with a construction project a couple of years ago, and and the uh, the the person that ran that works the construction company says you you really are a person that believes if you try hard enough you'll find a solution to every problem. And I believe in that. And I think that there's always going to be problems. There's going to be things we can, variables we can't control, variables we can't understanding the variables we can control. Focus on that. But if if we think through enough, we'll find a faster or better way to do something. And I think. Augusta National is a great example of that with the way they operate from their restrooms, concession, ticketing, the whole process. So to me, I've got coaches, I let them do their job and I help them, you know, build their program and it's their program, they run it. But everything outside of that, we have to keep looking at ways to improve things. And that, and a lot of my time has been spent in my previous job was on innovation around the, the, the fan experience. So um, again, this goes back to not being afraid to steal an idea from someone else. You know, I, I think you can't have it all figured out. So if you go to Augusta National, if you go to a Braves game or a Hawks game and you see a great idea, there's nothing wrong with stealing it. It's the mm-hmm. highest form of flattery to say, look, we really like the way they do that. How do we implement that here? And the, and there may be variables that are a little different. You know, the, the reality is, especially at Sanford, we're operating a, a hundred, almost 100-year-old stadium that's been added on to, added on to, added on to. And, we're, and some of our experienced competitors of the Hawks, Braves, Falcons – are all in relatively newer or renovated right. venues mm-hmm. that have more concessions, more restrooms, better ingress, parking, et cetera. And we're, we have a phenomenal location because we're smack dab in the middle of campus, but that causes a lot of logistical issues. Mm-hmm. So there's some variables I can't control. The stadium is what it is. But beyond that, how do we keep tweaking it and finding ways? And part of the innovation is not being afraid to screw up and trying something and saying, you know what, that didn't work. Let's scrap it again. Like I said before, scrap it, tweak it, try it again. And not saying, not putting the pressure on your employees to say, you know, if you fail, you're in, you're in trouble. Like, of course we want to do things ethically, morally, but giving them the grace to fail at trying new things, I think is important innovation. I heard a great, I read a great example in a, a book about high flying trapeze artists practice with a net because if they didn't practice with a net, 
they would never try a new routine. They do the safe, simple, old routine they've always done. Mm-hmm. When they practice with a net, they know they can fall. They'll, they're willing to take that chance, try that new routine. And then from that, they can develop and get better and better and better. But if we don't provide them that net, everyone's going to do exactly what's comfortable, exactly what they know, you know won't cause any issues. And we have to provide a safe net. Again, we're not asking them to do anything immoral, illegal, or anything against the rules. But within that construct, how do we provide a safety net where people are feeling empowered to take chances or innovate and try things doing that if we fail, we'll regroup and figure it out from there. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Now, speaking of being strategic, as you look to take the next step as a program, I think it's safe to say that you're a believer in the mantra that there are no little things because everything matters. Uh, At your introductory press conference, you mentioned two very uh, contradictory ideas, being innovative with growth mindset versus respecting the traditions of UGA, like you talked about there. Example would be the East End Zone project. You guys turned a former locker room into a really special space, but in the process, blended the old and the new. Could you speak to the importance of schools having that mindset of moving forward, but also honoring the past? Yeah, you know, this is obviously a special place. You know, the University of Georgia has been around a long time, well before me, and it'll be here well after me. So I think you owe it out of respect to the, everyone that's come before me that this isn't a – and it's, it's, it's never going to be a rebuild at Georgia or, you know, the ship is never going to be need to be turned around right. to tweak. So as you innovate, you want to respect the tradition, respect the past um, and find ways that within that we can do it. And we use the example of the lights. You know, we first came up with that concept of doing the red lights in the fourth quarter. I was a tad nervous. I'm like, all right, I'm, we're, we're pitching this idea, but I hope people don't think this is too over the top. You want to respect what we have and build upon it. So that was one of those things that it just worked out perfectly to where it was a tweak on a concept we already had, but it fit in with the fourth quarter with the, with the cell phone lights and everything. It worked perfectly. So you, you're always looking for those ideas, especially, again, at a place like University of Georgia. It's been here a long time, a lot of traditions that you want to be respectful of that, you know, we're more classic. We're we're the classic city. So you, so finding that is, is can be a tough balance. But at the same time, we've been great at a lot of things. So you don't have to. It, it's not a rebuild. It's not a massive change. So you just find those things to tweak that you can innovate without you know, just completely turning it upside down. Yeah. And I've heard you, I've heard you mentioned the, you were, you were nervous there to see if those lights were going to come back on. Oh, man. <laughs> that, that was is. the longest two seconds ever was in my entire life. I, you know, Oh man. Yeah. yeah. So Josh, we share more than just the same first name. We, uh, we were fortunate enough to install lights this fall. We don't have the colored. We just have the ones that dance and do different things. And we had the idea we were going to do something beginning of the third, fourth quarter or halftime whenever we did it. And I shared the same emotion. I'm like, I, hope that button works they gotta press that button so yeah uh, i'll never forget watching the uh super bowl when it was in new orleans and the lights went out in the uh was the third quarter something i said i i said i told one of my friends i said you're now witnessing my worst nightmare this is what right this is this very example that's right amen so josh i want to take a break from athletic administration just ask a simple question about leadership get in your uh, your mind about leadership. I ran across a statement recently in my quiet time uh, that I'd love to get you to comment on. And the statement is, leadership makes a difference in outcomes and character makes a difference in leadership. So uh, how do you respond to that statement? I'll say it one, one more time. Leadership makes a difference in outcomes and character makes a difference in leadership. Yeah, I think so. Your character as a person is going gonna, is gonna to set the tone for how you lead. Mm. And everyone's got a different mindset and how they do it. And, and I think with that, you got to be true to yourself. You know, one of the things I struggled with early on was I'm probably a little bit more of a nice guy, a little bit more of a, 
kinder personality. And I struggle with knowing that we know some of the dominant personalities in this industry are, or can be a little rougher, tougher. Um, the first thought was, is my character, do I have to be tougher to be a great leader? And ultimately I decided I've just got to be me. Mm-hmm. And when I am upset, people are going to know it and I don't have to, sh- I can show it in my own way where people will know, Oh man, he's not screaming and yelling, but he <laughs> raised his voice for this. They'll know the difference in tones. So I don't have to pretend to be something else. <laughs> and then leadership affecting the results. You said character affects leadership, right? And when you said leadership, leadership makes a difference in outcomes and character yeah. makes a difference in leadership. Yeah. So with that character and that leadership, that's what you hopefully at, at the end of the day, when you, when you add them all up, like we said, there may be some hard hit balls to get hit to the underdog center fielder. But if you stack them up enough and you do things the right way with great character through the leadership and you set that example for everyone in the organization from the janitor to the president and everyone in between and everybody's rowing in the same direction, the results are going to happen. Yeah. It's going to work out. You may have some hard hit balls that get, but over time, the positive results are going to happen and you'll, you'll see the success through all the metrics we've talked about, right? Whether it's wins on the field, success in the classroom, or success after life. And I think you have to keep all that in perspective, not just the play on the field, but everything else we talked about as well is, is what we define as success. Josh, let's talk about planning for a minute, specifically what the fall is going to look like. It's a question I get asked every single day. I'm sure you get that a lot too. I recently heard you in an interview when asked what you believe your capacity is going to be in the fall. You answered by saying that we're planning on being at full capacity because we have to in order to properly prepare. And if we need to scale back, we can do that. We've already shown that we can do that. Why is it important for ADs to have this mindset as we look to a post-COVID athletic landscape? I think the first thing is, especially for us, that we're already in that ticket selling phase, that we've got to project confidence. And, and that's what we're all hoping for. We, you know, sometimes people say, uh, hope for the best, plan for the worst. Well, I get that. But at the same time, we've got to plan for the best. Right. Because if we don't plan for the best, we won't be ready for it. Yep. So we have no other option but to plan for full capacity. Again, we can always pivot from there. But it's important that, you know, the lifeblood of our athletic department is is a lot of it wrapped up in the ticket sales and the donations that come along with ticket sales. So we've got to project that mindset of confidence and belief that we're going to do everything in our power to get ready for full capacity. And I think part of that is us still staying the course, doing things and in, in, in staying safe and keeping our student athletes safe and doing our part in the community to promote the, vac- the vaccine for others and all these pieces because we're, we're all guiding toward that, that moment next fall. We're at full capacity. We kick off in front of a cool, full capacity stadium. Obviously, we've pivoted before. We don't know what it'll look like, but I think everything's – the good news is that you're starting to see the trajectory. We're heading in the right direction where you're starting to see some announcements in NBA and Major League Baseball and NASCAR. So it's all trending in the right direction, and I think it's a trending in a direction where we, we have more confidence every day that, that, um, that we'll be in a situation where we'll be at full capacity the fall. Now, with that said, we still we're always going to be respectful of a, a local, state, federal guidelines, CDC about what the best recommendations right. are. We'll always consult with our, our medical professionals and work through that. So we're never going to go this alone. We, we've right. said from day one that we're going to work through our medical professionals, and, and really, um, this isn't a you know, like I said, I'm a jack of all trades, but but I've got to listen to the experts in the field in this topic, and and that's where the trust of that factor comes in. Yes, sir. Don't we all? Don't we all? So so you said something right there that I think is key that I want to harp on for just a minute for athletic directors, for coaches, for anyone who has to plan anything or, or try to achieve a success 
And, and your quote was, or your thought was, plan for the best to be ready for it. I can't tell you how many days I've walked in here and I, I'm thinking about what could go wrong, right, for an event. Coaches think about, man, how good that other team is. Hey, let's think about beating that other, other team so we're ready to beat them, right? Or let's figure out what good's going to come out of this event so when it does, we can appreciate it at the end. So plan for the best to be ready for it. Great, great thought there. When you when you're only planning for the worst, then you're you're creating a negative mindset to some degree, and, mm-hmm. and you know you better be ready when things go right. What do you got to do? You know when you sell right. them, you're, you know, you're ready for you know because we're not ready for it, and we sell our tickets, and they say we're 100 capacity, and we haven't planned for it. It's gonna be a lot harder to adjust from there. First, we've proven we can adjust back if we need to. Well, there's a group of coaches that are about to hear that because uh, you, you need to plan your uh, victory dance, right? You need to plan plan the dog pile, whatever, right. uh, whatever. That is, be ready for it. Be ready to beat the best team that nobody else thinks you can beat. So that's, right. that's awesome. That's great. So recently, I heard a conversation with Coach Buzz Williams, the men's basketball coach at Texas A and M. Uh, throughout that conversation, he alluded to what the elite do that makes them elite. Uh, one thing that struck me was the incredible structure he had and that he uh, he talked about. And it's resonated that the elite in any form of business, no matter what genre it is, they're incredibly structured. So if we could, can we can we get into your structure? What structures did you have in place that you think might have helped you secure this new position? And what structures do you have in place that have helped you on a daily basis as the uh, senior director of athletics there at Georgia? So, you know, for me, it really started in the equipment room at LSU. Mm. I worked for a great man named Jeff Boss who passed away in 2003, but he really changed my life. You know, I always had a great work ethic and energy and passion and a good mentality, but he really taught me how to organize those traits. Mm-hmm. And he was a man that literally got in the equipment room every day at 530. And his mindset was by 730 every day, all the laundry would be out, the locker room would be clean, ready. Every, every little task that needed to get done would be ready by 730. That way you're ready for whatever the day would bring. So, that really set a tone with me early in my career of, you know, and I wasn't getting in at five thirty every day, but, but really trying to get the day, the key things done before eight every day. Right. So whether it was processing invoices, responding to emails, all the little things, right. responding to notes, whatever those little things that can pile up if you don't manage them. And I still do it to this day to somewhat, I try to get a lot of those little things done before 8 AM. Mm. So way I'm ready for what the day brings. And now in my, in this job, and even in my old job, it was a little bit like this way. My day is going to be filled with a lot of meetings anyway. So if I'm getting behind in emails and invoices, you know, whatever the procedural things are, you have to stay on top of those. That way you're ready for what the day brings. Now moving in this role, there's less of that, right? Because I'm not over, I'm not supervising directly the things and super approving invoices. But Except for these dang guys that keep calling with podcast requests, right? <laughs> But in my old job, I would have to get, that would take up a lot of my time. So the, I think one of the keys to my success along the way is always staying on top of that never letting the little things build up. And I've also read, and I believe this, that if, if you can, as simple as this sounds, if you can take care of the little things early in the morning, you really set a tone and you get momentum to where you're ready for everything else in the day. So if you've got, if eight o'clock hits and you've got all the little stuff done, and for whatever your job is, right? So if your equipment manager it could be the laundry, it could be everything else. If you're the business, you know, whatever. If you've got the little things done to where your desk is cleared, you're ready to attack the day, then your mindset is so different and you can focus 
on the meeting that you're in. You could focus on the moment, whatever you're going through, you're not distracted going, God, I got 15 emails I haven't responded to yet, or I got a stack of invoices. So I think taking care of those things when you can, whether it be in the evening or early in the morning, however your style is, I think has always been key for me. And then getting in early, I think getting in early and, and showing for me, you never know early on when I was with Greg, he was an early bird. I was earlier too. So he'd see me and say, Hey, I need your help on something. Can you, you know, so you never know when, when you're around someone just being there, being present, the opportunities that can open up for you. And I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but, but also being available to do anything that's asked of you early on. I think sometimes we all get too much in it. Well, that's not really my responsibility. But when you talk about um, going back to the structure of it, for me, structuring my life in my faith and my family and my work and, and, and compartmentalizing things has always been important for me and allows me, I think, to really focus and be where you are at that moment. I think the worst thing you could do as a leader is be in a meeting and be checking your cell phone or checking an email. So I think that's why it's important to compartmentalize those things and do those in the, in the right segments to where you're not just, you know, it's like texting and driving, right? You're not a very good driver yeah. or a texter when you're texting and driving, you shouldn't be doing it. They're proving that you're, you know, something bad is going to happen. So put the, you know, do that when you can and be, have structure to your data where you're not trying to, you're being bad at a bunch of stuff versus being really great and being in that moment, whatever that task is, that will, when other things come, you're, you're ready for it. So I don't know if I've made sense of that, but, but it, just in my head, how I compartmentalize each part of my day has always been important for me. No, yeah, that's great. How, how would you, cause I know if you've gone through it with kids, how would you answer to the person? And this may be a little personal to me, but uh, right now at this stage of my life, but I know there's a lot of people, how would you answer the person that says, well, I got to take my kid to school. And that's why I said, whatever your flavor is, right? Yeah. So you may be more of a, my structure is I don't, most days I don't take my kids to school and, yeah. and I've got that freedom and flexibility, mm -hmm. but there's been days where I can, but so you kind of, kind of find the right moments for you. And I think that's a personal decision for me. The valuable hours for me are when I come home, having dinner, spending time with them. And then when they go to bed, so you may be a later person when they go to bed at eight or nine, you may be able to crank out 30 minutes or an hour then mm. and get caught up. You know, I just, or you may carve out a time at 1130 or 1230 where you may carve that time out, but having that structure to where, you know, because if you don't, you're always going to be behind. I feel like, That's it's good. like I always say that this is a really goofy analogy, but there's certain dry cleaners that could turn around laundry in one day. Right. And there's some dry cleaners that can tell you three days. Mm, yeah. Well, they're all doing the same thing, but one of them's already chosen to have a structure and organization to where they're always ahead of the game. Mm. Because theoretically, one's not spending any more time than the other one on dry cleaning the shirt. It's just how they structured and laid it out. So with that mindset, there's no reason for you ever to really be behind on emails or things like that. Because at the bare minimum, you can just respond to whatever the thing is and say, listen, I don't have an answer for you yet. But I just want to let you know I got it received and I'm on it. Right. And, and I think staying ahead of that, it's just being good at the little things. I think um, early on in my career, I advanced basically just by being good at the basic fundamental things. No one was ever going to say that I wasn't responsive, wasn't on top of all the little things that I was tasked, whether it was doing laundry as equipment manager, you know, fixing my helmet from up, whatever, or moving up through administration for responding to emails or if you always take care of the little things, your base is leveled, then you're, you know, 
don't let them take you down for the the, the little stuff, right? right. Be good. Mm-hmm. You might as well be good at the, the things you can definitely control because there's nothing to say and you can't control those things because there's obviously going to be things that come at you that are going to have gray areas or things that are going to be tough to solve. So you might as well be very good at the simple little things that, that you can control. Yeah, that's good. Wow, good stuff. There may be some people that uh, – like like when the preacher preaches on Sunday morning, they might have got their st- toes stepped on thinking about their email inbox right there. So I'm not criticizing you. I'm thinking about myself. Yeah. I'm I like, give my oh. criticism all the time because she's one of those people that's got 742. Yeah. And I'm just my OCD. Just put, <laughs> and everyone's got their own process for it. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. I just think, oh, man, I hadn't checked my email 15 minutes now. I wonder how many I got the, when you said that. So it just, it just distracted me for a second. But hey, those come up, and then as long as, for me, and everyone's got a different process. For me, my structure was finding those windows to knock it out and stay on top of it. You know, right. I love it. I love it. I love the challenge there to uh, get up and get your work done for sure. So one last question before we jump into our two-minute drill, which is the end of our show here. But I wanted to talk about mental health, taking care of yourself, hobbies, uh, and what Randy Gravitt calls five to nine leadership. The leadership, what you do after the nine to five, right? Taking care of your personal self. And you talked about some of that there. But we noticed on your Instagram uh, that in 2020, obviously a lot of us had a lot of time. You are dealing with a lot of phone calls each and every day. I know through the SEC and your athletic department. But in 2020, you started what looks like a new, very unique hobby. um, so I wanted to ask you about that, your hobby of watercolor painting. How does that, how did, how did it come about? How does it help you in your personal and professional life? And, and I must say, you're pretty good at it, by the way. Uh, well, thank you. It, uh, I, um, I took art three years in high school and I always loved to draw. Okay. And um, I hadn't, hadn't, you know, hadn't, hadn't done it in years. And, um, you know, we had more time on our hands than, than we know what to do with during that, especially during the April, May months right and um and i just needed something to decompress and i just started getting into it and really enjoyed it I, sadly i haven't done it as much since we came back in august but i probably need to carve out time for that because it, it was a great um relaxer for me you know exercise is important to me i, I do exercise three days a week at, at early early in the morning five thirty in the morning which i think i don't know if i can do it every day because I don't have that level of discipline or, or mindset to want to work out five days a week, but yeah. those three days, it sets the tone for my day. So that's one of the key pieces for me. When you talk about five to nine, I really, it sounds crazy, but I don't have a lot of room outside of my family, my faith and the university of Georgia. So I may not be as involved with NFL or major league baseball or know what's going on in the world. I couldn't tell you, you know, who, you know, what show just won the Emmy or who's won a Grammy. My, my, so much of my energy is in the, you know, my faith, my family and UG athletics. Right. And that's great for me because this is what I love. Right. So going to a tennis match at university of Georgia is as compelling for me as watching the world series, because these are, this is, this is my family. Mm-hmm. This is my extended family. And, and then going to one of my little kids, little league games or one of the track meets is that's where that's my hobby. You know, I don't get to play a lot of golf. I'll try to fish when I can, or like I've drawn in the past. But finding joy in those moments with my kids and my family is, is really peaceful for me, and it allows me to have those moments outside of this that I look forward to. But I also, you know, I really love watching our student-athletes compete. It is it is a lot of fun for me. And, it, you know, when you know how hard they work, and you all know this, when you see the work they put in and you can see them do what they love and compete, especially when they're, you know, when they win that big match or that game, that's a, that's my joy. So, um 
you know, not a lot of free time outside of that, but it's okay because this is what I enjoy and this is what I love. Yep, that's good. That's good. I think you have your own special corner there, the tennis complex, where you can hopefully get away and, and decompress a little bit, but also okay. watch those athletes. Uh, I like seeing that uh, that baseball shot from uh, way back there. In the oh, tennis. isn't that a great shot? That's it a great is. Watch it both. is. Yeah. I think that home run Bo Jackson hit landed about right there, right? It probably did. Yeah, so. it probably did. Hey, Josh, we appreciate your time today. We are going to jump into our two-minute drill. Uh, you've shared a lot of good stuff to challenge us as athletic leaders, so thanks for that. And uh, I'm going to let Don kick us off with this two-minute drill. All right, Josh, we're going to hit you with some rapid-fire questions. You just right. tell us the first thing that comes to mind, okay? Oh, this is scary. I'm nervous. <laughs> what was the first job you ever had, ever? First job, uh, uh, my father ran a cemetery uh, when I was a child, and I uh, cut grass and dug gra- graves and worked, uh, did things in the cemetery. That's awesome. We'll never have another one of those. Nope. One book you recommend to leaders? Um, oh, man, there's a lot of good ones. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Um, I've read it a few times, seen his, his uh, TED Talk video about 100 times, but it, it's a very powerful book that really um, changed my mindset as a leader. Over, under on the number of texts you receive a day, we'll start with 20. Over. What would be your walk-up song? Um, I'm going to have to say, obviously, it's a, I'm a big Ava Brothers fan, so I've got to pick an Ava Brothers song. So I'm just going to say, Ava Brothers Ain't No Man. That would be my, my walk-up song. All right. The best professional idea that you have stolen from a vacation trip, like you mentioned earlier. Ooh, okay. So um, it's going to be something at Disney. Okay, the best idea, and I'll try to be quick. I know there's too many to um, just the mindset of indirect return on investment from Disney because they do everything they believe in is not measured in direct return on investment. Like the fireworks they do, they can't quantify how much money that brings into the park every day. And I've used this example before, but that's a great example of something they do that they believe it's indirectly going to benefit them. That's good. I like to say you got to spend money to make money, right? Um, yeah. But you can't count it. That's, that's great. That's awesome. A little personal here. The youth track or triathlon event that makes you most nervous. High jump every time. Oh. Because it's not an event that you can say, just go harder. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know if he's doing, when he was doing shot put, you could say, hey, you got, when you're really uh, grunt, you know, or run, you know, you got to grind it out. But high jump, it's so technical. And I know just enough to be dangerous that it's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, I was, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going. That's I'm, good. Uh, you're fine. Your time. I was at a, uh, uh, a national track meet with my son when he was doing triathlon a couple of years ago. And, um, all the parents are behind the fence watching the kids. We got to the high jump portion of the triathlon. And I know enough. Petros has taught me enough to be dangerous, right? So drive the knee, big plant, get, you know, all these different things that I can say, like I sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> parent next to me, their kid jumped and fell. And the parent looked at the kid and said, son, you have to jump higher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. Noted. 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 Yeah. <laughs> That's good. So what profession other than yours would you like to attempt? Um, I would – I'd love to be a uh, – I'd love to be a chef. Hmm. I love what to pro- cook. Really, really love to cook. Other side of that, what profession would you not like to do? Oh, man. I don't want to dig ditches. I've done that enough, so I'm done with digging ditches. <laughs> Understood. I, don't, I want to get the shovel out of my hand. I've had enough years doing that. Don's got a great saying about digging ditches. He likes to use that's good. So back to parenting. What is a belief about parenting that you had before you became a parent that you've totally changed your mind about? Um, well, that's a good one. 
you know, you think this this mindset of how you're going to be as a parent, you want to, this aspiration of being a perfect parent, and it comes just like leadership, right? You, you, you almost have to drop the expectation of being perfect. And I, I think as soon as you come to grips with you're not going to be a perfect parent, and you can, and, and children are going to have their own personality, and you cannot mold them into exactly who you want them to be. Because I've got three boys, and they could not be more different as if one had three years. They're wow. completely different. coming to grips with that and understanding that I'm not going to mold them into exactly what I want them to be, mm. and and reverting back to what we talked about character and, and and focusing on the fundamental things, and then let them become who they're going to be outside of that. Coming to grips with that was a big thing for me as a parent. Well said. What has pressure taught you? Pressure's taught me that we can withstand a lot more than we think we can. Um, I always remind myself that when I'm in the heat of something very stressful, that I think back to something that happened 10 years ago that I thought was stressful, and I laugh about it now. Mm-hmm. So I, I tell myself, in enough time, this is going to be funny. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> you know, that's good. In the 20 years from now, we're going to look back and laugh about this example. And, and sometimes it's shorter than that. Sometimes it's six months or a year. So I always remind myself that how, we think this is a big deal right now. But a month from now or a year from now, we'll, it, it's not a big, it's, you know, we'll be over and on to the next thing. Boy, we need to let that sink in a little bit. What's your biggest pet peeve? Um, aside from the emails, people that have two notes. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's um, right. Biggest pet peeve is um, people, I, I kind of, people don't, and this is not a truly a pet peeve, but People don't, in this world today, don't give each other the grace. We we don't give others the grace that we ask for. And I use the example of, we could be in a hurry, make a mistake, cut someone off in traffic, and we go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, and we expect grace. But when someone cuts us off in traffic, are we ready to give them that same grace that when we, we don't know their situation? So don't assume the worst, that they're a jerk. Assume that they may have just made an honest mistake, they're in a hurry, it could be an emergency, whatever. So people that are not willing to give each other the grace that they desperately are going to ask for at some point or have already asked for. So just people not giving each other grace, I think is, is the thing that drives me crazy. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, something I don't do enough is slow down. And, and, and I think going back to what we said earlier, you know, this too shall pass understanding that. And, um, but just slowing down and enjoying, and that kind of leads into just enjoying the moment, because I think we sometimes in life we we're all we're always thinking about the next thing, but let's just stop where we're at and enjoy where we're at right now, because this this moment is fleeting as well. So enjoy this one moment, you know. Oh boy, that was good. Let's finish with this. It's our trademark question, Josh Brooks. Today you've been hanging with the AD, but let's say you could hang out with anyone. Who would that be, and why? Uh, whew. you know, this is a tricky question because they say don't you don't want to meet your uh, heroes, right? Because they may let you down. Oh, wow. Um, it, you know, I've always wanted to meet the Avid brothers, but I don't want. But I think they're good guys. But I think it all comes back to me. Probably my first sports memory is a child with Larry Bird. So I'd love to uh, meet Larry Bird, maybe play horse with him or something, or <laughs> you know, just shoot around with him. So that that would be the one that I'd love to meet is Larry Bird. That's cool. Josh, thank you so much for the privilege of your time today. We both look forward to what you have in store there in Athens. And today you've helped us and our listeners get better. And for that, we're incredibly grateful. So thanks again and go dogs. Well, everything I said, I probably stole from someone else or learned from someone else. So there is no original. But I appreciate y'all's time. It was great questions. I really enjoyed talking to y'all. Capacity. What is your definition of leadership capacity?
How often do we judge others by how much they are able to handle? An online dictionary says capacity is the maximum amount that something can handle. Well, if you do just a little homework on the new University of Georgia, J. Reed Parker, Director of Athletics, Mr. Josh Brooks, you will find a leader who has an incredible capacity to understand, decide, and lead. Very seldom in today's world of athletic leadership, especially at the Power Five level, do you find a senior athletic director who started at the very bottom of the job chart. In January 2021, Josh Brooks accomplished a rise through the ranks that started as a volunteer assistant equipment manager way back as an undergrad at LSU. The lesson? Be the best you can be wherever you are, and you never know the heights you will reach as you impress others with your work ethic, your thinking, and your skills. Boy, there was a lot to take away from this conversation today with Mr. Josh Brooks. Here are some of them. Challenge people the right way. Be innovative, yet knowledgeable of great traditions. Collaborate. There are solutions to all problems. Find them. Be true to who you are. Be present and be available. But my favorite takeaway, one that we repeated in this conversation, was this. Plan for the best to be ready for it. We always seem to plan for the worst as athletic directors, but Josh's wisdom of plan for the best so we are ready for it helps us have a much more positive and energetic mindset. So, plan for the best. Thanks, Josh Brooks, for such great advice today. UGA has a leader who is capable of taking them to even greater heights as he plans for the best. Thank you for listening today. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and or review our podcast as we try to reach as many leaders as possible. We would love for you to connect with us on social media as well. And until next time, thank you for spending your time hanging with the AD. AD.